there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one intoxicating page of Talmud every day. Here we are, just about at the midway point of Tractate Nazir, and now's a good time for me to reveal that I've often fantasized about taking this vow myself. As the rabbis understood all too well, this vow and its aura of holiness has a tremendous appeal to excitable souls like mine. It's precisely why the rabbis go to such lengths to warn us against taking it lightheartedly or really against taking this vow at all. It's just too extreme. But in my case, the rabbis didn't really have to worry about it too much because one central prospect of the Nazarite vow, as you know by now, is enough to keep me away. The prohibition on drinking wine. Going 30 days or 60 days, or 90 days, or more, without a good Cabernet or Chardonnay? No thank you. Not for me. As long-time listeners to the show might have heard me say once or twice or 40,000 times, I like to drink. But what does it mean, to drink? That is precisely the question Nazir, pages 34 and 35, are here to address. Have a listen. An initial version of the Mishnah says that a Nazarite is liable to receive lashes only if he drinks a quarter log of wine. Rabbi Akiva says even if he soaked his bread in wine and the two together contain enough to combine to the amount of an olive bulk, he is liable. So, some rabbis say drinking means drinking a quarter log, which if my sober calculations are correct, it's about two and a half fluid ounces or just about half the gin I put in my martini every day at five o'clock. Or in other words, not quite enough to do the job alcohol is here to do. Rabbi Akiva, though, jumps in on behalf of the teetotlers, even soaking the bread in wine so that bread and wine together are the size of just a little olive. He says, that is considered drinking. Herein, we have the whole Megillah, the ancient debate about drinking that still goes strong today. How much is too much? Talk to contemporary doctors, and some will take the side of the rabbis, saying that you know a little bit of red wine here and there is actually proven to have some health benefits. While others will be modern-day Akivas, saying that alcohol is a toxin, and that the amount you should consume safely is so small it may as well be non-existent. This debate continues to fascinate us, not just for medical reasons. We care about it because we understand that there is some innate connection between drinking and soulfulness and holiness, that wine unleashes some spiritual potential, which is why we're obligated to down four cups of it every Passover. But a few days ago, if you're listening to the show in order, we marked the first of the month of Adar, which is when we celebrate Purim a holiday in which we're commanded to drink so much and get so drunk that we can no longer tell the difference between the good guys and the bad guys. So as I read this Talmudic debate about booze, just as the month of Adar bounced in, I remembered one of my absolute favorite Talmudic stories about drinking a tad too much. It tells of Rabbah and Rabbi Zerah, two of our greatest sages, who are celebrating Purim with a feast. Now, commanded to drink copiously on the joyous day, the two, the Talmud tells us, knocked back a few until, in his drunken stupor, Rabbah somehow got around to killing Ravzera. 
OMG. Waking up the next morning with a massive hangover, a repentant rabbi prayed for Zerva's soul, reviving his friend, bringing him miraculously back to life. Now, the following year, as Purim rolls around, Rabbi once again invites Zera out to dinner. But Zera declines. No thanks, he says. After all, miracles don't happen every day. Rod Serling and the Twilight Zone wouldn't have told it any better. It's a morbid, funny, and terrifying story. A story that has mesmerized readers for millennia. Was it really possible that Rabbi, a revered rabbi, could be so caddish? And what was the moral here anyway? To watch what you drink? To be more careful when picking your friends? What? Haunted by this grisly murder and miraculous rebirth, and with Purim right around the corner, I turned to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, who in his collected talks offered a radical reinterpretation of this familiar tale. There was, the Rebbe taught, no bloodletting. Instead, what happened was just as mysterious. The two sages, drinking as one is commanded to do on Purim, began seeing things. Which things? If you've ever prayed with burning intent, or even meditated so furiously that you began to feel the tingling of transcendence, you might have caught a glimpse of the vistas that now lay open before Zera and Rabbah. Ordinarily cut off from the fullness of creation, a vision of obviously available only to the Creator himself, the two, their inhibitions blunted by wine, began learning and understanding the deeply hidden secrets of the Torah. This was a pleasure for Rabbah, whose very name in Hebrew connotes greatness, Rabbah Harbe Alat. It was a bit too much for Zera, whose name is a derivation of Zair, or small little guy. Glancing at the mystical underpinnings of all of history and life itself, as you sometimes do when you drink really great wine, one rabbi was elated, while the other grew so overwhelmed that he keeled over and died. We have, in Hasidic literature, plenty of stories of masters who had studied and prayed so hard they felt their soul about to escape their body. And the Rebbe's reading also explains why, the following year, Rabbah would so joyfully invite his friend to relive their fateful night. From one Purim to the next, Rabbah might have thought his friend grew spiritually stronger and would now be able to safely join in in the metaphysical wine-infused festivities. And so can we. In Purim, the Rabbah taught, each Jew is given the might to rise to new spiritual levels without worrying that, like Zera, he or she might lose touch with the real physical world and drift away. Our souls unlocked by merriment and a little bit of liquor, our hearts open and focused on the Megillah and the happy eternal story of Jewish belief and survival, we too can, for one day, achieve a new level of holiness, unreachable to our sober, secular, workaday selves. If we do, the Rebbe advises, we will enjoy greater spiritual strengths the whole year through. And God knows we can use some of that right about now. This has been Take One. 
If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And get your Take One merch, t-shirts, mugs, and other great stuff at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, Robert Scarmucha, and Mark Oppenheimer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic. Thank you.